We just live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. <laughs> Suck it, Toronto. To think that, that a season is championship or championship is, is um, certainly the way we've approached it. To the Miami Heat fans, it was, uh, you're despicable people, and I hope I never hear from you again. Milwaukee, we dogs! James Harden is a massive choker, and he is a bum. Bum. Finals MVP, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Bogdan Bogdanovich. Karma. Karma, bitch. Chris, you did it, huh? Hello, and welcome to the Brew Hoop Podcast, episode 120. This is Adam Paris, co-managing editor of brewhoop.com, and I am thrilled to be joined by Riley Feldman on this early Sunday morning. No Kyle Carr this week, which is always sad, but I'm really excited to be with Riley early on a Sunday. We're going to be talking trade deadline, but before we do that, how are you? I'm okay. It's been a pretty good week. Temperature-wise here in the Twin Cities, not too bad. I had a tattoo consultation appointment on Friday because I'm going to get a forearm, like half sleeve next week. And the artist executed the idea I was looking for at such a high level. I was blown away when she busted out like the work she did. I was like, oh, this is going to look awesome. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, I went to go to the local bookshop after that to do a little browsing because I was just felt like treating myself. So it was a good close to the week. How about you? Oh, my God. That is like <laughs> that. That sounds like you're in hog heaven. Uh, so <laughs> my, my week was pretty good. Um, we were we were my wife and I flew out to L.A. to visit some friends. Uh, it, was, it was delightful. The weather was sublime. Uh, they also have a, a kid a couple months older. So they were kind of going at our speed, which was helpful. Um yeah. Although when we got back, there was um, rat droppings in the house. So we had an exterminator come out. I don't know if, it, I didn't really know rats actually got in houses. Um, looked it up. So it turns out Philly has a, a rat problem. They've recently passed some legislation to try and curb the issue. We're like the seventh, uh, seventh rattiest city in the country. Um, that's a, that's something to be proud about. That's a top 10 ranking right there. Yeah, yeah that's not bad. Uh, then, then we got a snowstorm the end of the week. And uh, somehow the way the wind blew, all the snow seemed to come upon my small, you know, five squares of sidewalk that I have. So I have like <laughs> a mountain of snow up against my house while everyone else has like no snow against them. So <laughs> it's been it's been great. I, I want to circle back to your tattoo, though. So like that I'm, I'm too chicken to have any sort of tattoos, but the half sleeve, how do you like even start thinking about what will all be in the suit because it's like a lot of that's like a lot of ink right so like how do you it even is. go about trying to think about what all is going to be in it so for me i'm not the kind of person maybe i will one day but i'm not the kind of person who gets tattoos just to have like more tattoos on so i have one on my under forearm one on my side and they're both like meaningful because this is the one on my arm that i already have is from my favorite band and the one that i'm getting on my side is going to be like personal records from marathon times where I cross out one, add it, cross, add, in theory, if I keep running. So those two were like made sense. And I wanted the forearm to be like something that made sense with what I enjoy. So I ended up coming with an idea to do like stamps from places I've been or like meaningful places. So 
I've got um, one for, it, it helps that a lot of stamps like throughout history you can find online because obviously stamp collectors have huge like examples. And so I have one for the city of Cologne in Germany, the one for the city of Munich in Germany, the one for Zurich, um, a French city on the Normandy coast in Milwaukee. And I took all those stamps, sent it to the artist and she just like drew them all up to put them um, almost like you know how the old-timey suitcases how they would put mm-hmm. on like the tray so that sort of idea um, oh that's so awesome I, so it's going to be cool um and the idea is we're just going to go in she's just going to put on like one and then we're going to like reposition a second be like oh, it looks good there and then the idea is i can obviously keep adding to it in the future which was probably the most important thing to me was like i don't want just one unified like this is it it's done if it could be something I can keep adding to, because I'm kind of running out of ideas of other tattoos to do. So this one can be like my continuing project. So that's where I came at it from. I know a lot of people do like a single image that they like, or like a particular like tattoo style. Um, And that's all good. But I thought the way that she executed this um, and the idea was like pretty original. I hadn't found a lot of examples of it. So I think she's excited to do it. I'm excited. So um, that's kind of how I went about choosing what I was going to do. Wow. That's a really cool idea. That's one of the coolest I- tattooed ideas. I Thank think you. I've, I've Appreciate that. That's very really cool. Yeah. Looking uh, forward to it. I'm sure it'll turn out cool and I'll be able to show you guys in a week or two whenever the next time we talk. So. Yeah, that'll be awesome. Can't wait to see it. Well, someone who's going to be slapping a new stamp on their suitcase is Giannis, who's going to Cleveland for his... Uh, <laughs> Woo! <laughs> <laughs> part, part, uh, I'm like so jaded about it. So Giannis was selected as an all-star starter. We all knew that was going to happen. I'm like so jaded now. I'm like part of me was just hoping but him... He would just be like, I'm injured. I can't go. I need the whole week off to rest. <laughs> were you, were really... you hoping he wasn't going to get enough votes to become yes. an all-star? <laughs> yes. Yeah. God. Uh, so he, I think it was his sixth. I think it's his sixth all-star game. I can't remember if it's his sixth sixth time as a starter. Yep. Six straight starters. Yep. Okay. So that's exciting, I guess. I don't know. How excited do you were you over the, the uh, news? I, I was so excited that all of us forgot to post a newser about it until like five hours after the news came out. I so know. clearly the whole staff is really into it. I, I, I mean, you know, obviously it's cool. He's like the quintessential all-star like guy who actually competes but is like funny and like has a good time. Whereas everybody else, like a lot of the other stars is like, oh shit, I can't believe I'm in Cleveland in February. Like, this sucks. Giannis seems, like, genuinely excited. So I, I'm happy for him. Um, I wish he – I don't know why Kevin Durant keeps getting starter, like, captain credits because did, did not everybody love the Giannis-LeBron, like, NBA draft where Giannis was accusing LeBron of tampering and everything, and everybody <laughs> had to, like, awkwardly laugh even though Giannis was saying the quiet part out loud. Like, everything about it was a lot of fun. So I, I do question the electorate in regards to who's being captain of the team. But otherwise, I, you know, it'll be fun. Giannis is fun. So if he enjoys it, that's all that matters, I guess. Yeah, you, you make a good point. I mean, he's given us some actually – well, okay, I'm realizing now. I was going to say I, I remember very little from the last couple of All-Star games, and now I'm just I'm viewing it entirely through my biased lens. But, like, the Giannis uh, dunk over Steph Curry, who, like, laid down or something, the DeAndre mm-hmm. Jordan reaction, him, like – him like trying to talk with Jokic or something on the bench because like no mm-hmm. one else on the team seems to want to talk with him. <laughs> Everyone's like, but, man, that guy from the Balkans is kind of scary. Giannis <laughs> is like, he's my best friend. <laughs> so you're right. Look, in terms of standing, you know, promoting himself as the face of the league, it's good for Giannis that he was selected as a starter. Uh, it would be more fun to hear because he, he, you're right, he does do some banter and like as much as, you know, I respect Kevin Durant and he seems to, you know, quote unquote, keep it real or whatever. Like 
uh, I, I enjoy Giannis's goofiness just a little bit more on the on the national stage. Yeah, Giannis is the because two years ago was it two years ago they had the first like Elam ending in the fourth quarter where like an actual basketball game broke out for the first time, and I remember Giannis having that one-on-one like couple of sequences against LeBron to close the game. So that was a lot of fun. And then obviously he won the all-star MVP last year. So uh, I think the competitive basketball was just like a two year ago thing. Cause I don't remember it being competitive last year. Uh, so hopefully this will be a change, but yes, I mean, Giannis doesn't really follow like the rules of like saying nothing. Like he's very good <laughs> at saying nothing, but like he'll also be goofy about it. So there's, yeah. there's something different to him. But uh, yeah, so anything that gets him on the national stage for that is welcome, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and then, so the reserves are going to be chosen later this week. Those are selected by the coaches. Well, before we do that, any any care at all that Andrew Wiggins got selected or whatever as a West, star- West starter? Uh, no. I think it's only just another arrow in my quiver of the West is not superior to the Eastern Conference. That's uh, So that's good for that, but I, I don't care at all whatsoever. And then... Obviously, there's there's sort of Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday hanging up in the air. I would be incredibly surprised if Chris Middleton gets selected. No shots at Chris. He's just outside of like he's been good maybe the last two and a half weeks. He's felt a little bit more like Chris, but before that, frankly, he just wasn't having uh, uh, you know as great a season as he normally would. Mm-hmm. Uh, any any frustration that would burble up whether if uh, if Drew Holiday is not selected as a reserve, probably not. Uh, would like him to get some rest and like. He's been good, but he's also missed a lot. So if there was some other guardy guy that, you know, like a young guy or like Fred Van Fleet, I know is the popular like other pick and the the Raptors have been like better than people expected. So I I wouldn't be mad at that whatsoever. Plus like one or two all-star appearances feels right for the kind of level of player Drew is. So, um, you know, I wouldn't be too upset if he doesn't make it necessarily. Yeah, I, I I certainly wouldn't be either. I like I said at the top, I really wouldn't mind if just him and Chris just rest up for the entire week. Mm-hmm. I, I know it would be cool for him, and I'm not sure if he has incentives in his contract that get him some sort of bonus. That's but um, I don't know. You, I think he got like four, three million or whatever in incentives last year from winning the championship and all the other stuff they did. So you know, you don't you don't need those instead, even though he, I, okay. He does like take a lot of money and just donate it to charity. So it wouldn't be a bad thing, I guess for him to have more money. He's like really, really generous and awesome with it. So maybe he should get the incentives, but I wouldn't mind if he's, if he just rests up and is healthy. So I think it's a condemnation of how increasingly irrelevant all-star games get that we're just like, ah, who cares if they don't make it, it's not the end of the world. So it's, it's a, Again, a condemnation of where the league has allowed its premier weekend to drift to, which is not good. That's the, I mean, that's the other thing about the Wiggins thing is it's like, okay, well, no, why would I take an all-star like selection all that seriously then if this is what's going to happen? I thought we kind of gamed this out, but it's just, it's just such a, it's such a strange brew of how the people are even selected for the starters. And then like all of a sudden just a coach decides who else is on the all-star team like mm-hmm. there's just so many things that go into this weird pot that by by the end of it i'm like just wake me up when you decide all nba that's a much clearer voting process and that seems to be much more representative of, of who actually matters the other question is i believe it's whichever teams are at the top of the standings by the time i don't know if at what point they cut it off that that's the coach for d yes. Bud is tanking games intentionally be like <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna be kicking it in cancun like crazy please we gotta lose a couple of these Cavs games um i hope so i, I would i would 
he, he, you know what? He needs rest too, man. I mean, th- that guy seems like he, he certainly enjoys a, a seltzer now and again, a, an occasional Harry Styles concert now and again. Mm-hmm. Like he's got to relax, get some R and R, bud. That's it's yeah. that's a cool move by him. That's why he never gets all that upset when we lose to the Pistons or the Raptors of the world. He's like, my Cancun vacation looking that much <laughs> that much sweeter or within reach. So I, I respect Bud for that. Uh, and it probably does play into his nonplussed uh, approach to the game for the most part. So good for you, Bud. Yeah, no kidding. Hopefully you get some R&R. Overall star break, though, is one guy who I'm sure will be uh, working. Well, wait. Well, the trade deadline will be over by then. So Horst won't have to work the phones anymore. But basically that was a preamble and a terrible segue to try and talk about <laughs> Uh, we're going to do sort of our large trade deadline preview here. If you're interested in in really getting an in-depth uh, preview of what the trade deadline looks like, go on brewhoop.com and read uh, Van's piece. It's We're basically going to be using it as an outline for our conversation, but it's it's just got a ton of amazing stuff in there, tons of targets. We're going to be use, picking out from some of those targets, list of assets, what the Bucks might be looking for. So that's pinned on the top of Brewhoop too, and that'll be there through through the trade deadline. So definitely go and check that out. But uh, before we get into some specifics, I'm just curious about how you generally feel about the trade deadline. I know it's kind of an ex- it's an exciting time. In my younger years, I would always get very, very excited about the trade deadline. So how do you feel about it just as a general event in the NBA ecosystem and then sort of how it how it might relate to the Bucks as well? Uh, I used to get really hyped about it as well. I think the fact that the Bucks don't have assets anymore, which... Ran- <laughs> did a really good job of outlining for us, which I would also double suggest go check out the piece because he breaks down all the future picks, um, which can be hard to keep in mind because of the Stepien rule where you can't have two drafts consecutively where you don't have first round picks. So there's a lot of like moving parts. He, he lines it up really nicely. I think because like valuations are all through place and it also feels like um, we've really drawn out the string for a lot of the like top competitive teams for how much more like there must be a lot of teams that are like in the bucks boat where it's like we just don't have draft picks anymore to trade and so that means there's only like the middling teams that can get involved in like the Cavs or the t-wolves they could be interesting but i think because they're not like premier teams and uh we're not probably going to be involved unless it's like a side piece, uh, you know, like the PJ Tucker trade. That was great. And that Cole Miritich trade, like those were like two, like, whoa, those are the Bucks are really getting involved. And I just, I think the numbers don't add up that we're going to be doing something like that. So I'm probably a little bit more down, but in the past, I would be the same thing. I'd be like, I'm not going to class today, or if I am going to class, I'm busting out TweetDeck on the laptop or whatever, just in case we trade Thon Maker today. Uh, and this is not as much excitement this time around, but it probably, uh, you know, because we've seen us do like buyouts and stuff in the past. Uh, I'm not going to be like, oh, we screwed the trade deadline or something like that. So uh, excitement level is middling at best. Yeah. I, like I would say almost the probably the peak of my Bucks fandom was the Michael Carter Williams trade deadline, like the incredulity at the fact they made a trade like that and the the sheer number of trades at that at that deadline was like kind of dizzying. So I remember like losing my mind. I think I didn't work that entire second half of that afternoon. I was at work and I just called my friends and tried to ask them what that trade meant to them. Um, now, now much less so, much less assets for the Bucks. Was that the uh, the Brandon Knight to Phoenix trade? Oh my god! Yes. Yeah. yeah, Brandon Knight to Phoenix for 
uh, the first round, the first round pick that I think was the Lakers um, pick. Mm, yep. And then, um, but then they rerouted it because Jason Kidd wanted Michael Carter Williams. But we also now we also got Tyler Ennis and was it Plumlee or Zeller? Uh, Plumley had to yes it was Plumley. it was the guy whose yeah. face was drawn badly or whatever and the toothbrush toothbrush guy toothbrush yeah, yeah, holder. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so I was really excited for that one the, the yesteryear of trade deadlines it's probably better overall for everybody's mental health that yes. we're not going to be like all that competitive lest we like make an absolute boner of a trade <laughs> at the deadline so it's for the best yeah so so the last couple of years like you said John Horst has been pretty active the um, there was obviously the Nikola Mirotic trade, and then um, the year after that, you didn't really make a, a big trade at the deadline. I would say the big trade that year was the one earlier in the season, which I believe was to acquire George Hill, get rid of John Henson. Is that the same year, or is that the was that the Mirotic year? That was the Mirotic year because we uh, he acquired all those and he got the Jody Meeks for the second rounder. Or oh, whatever, that's right. Yes, that was yeah. that was John Horse at the peak of his powers, where yes. he's like, I'm going to take every second rounder possible, and we're going to turn this into a, in theory, like plus guy. So that was all in the same year, and then la- I think the year after that was the Marvin Williams bio, bio season. So yeah. we didn't do anything. Marvin Williams, one of the greatest mid-game retirements of all <laughs> NBA history, and then last year was the PJ Tucker. So he's been active, but the most active was probably the Miritich year, and then last year it just happened to work out with the uh, the salaries of the DJs to add up to PJ for that one. So that was less like active. We just happened to have the right numbers to match there. Yeah, and it, obviously he did already make a trade this year to get Grayson Allen, which is it's kind of an acquisition. Um, I'd say a pretty big acquisition actually, given the uh, extended him so in general we'll we'll have to see how the how this deadline will work out i i think as we talk through it my general opinion that we might not make a trade and i'm not super gung-ho on almost any trade it i think will will bear out but let's start just briefly by giving an, an overview of some of the the player and and types of of things that van lays out that the bucks might need which were he, he had four different components one a big man with the size and strength to match up with opposing centers, i.e. Joel Embiid. Two, a long physical wing capable of guarding dynamic opposing forwards, i.e. Kevin Durant. Three, a legitimate bench scorer who can create his own shot and or is a catch-and-shoot three-point option. And four, depth at point guard and or player capable of being a primary ball handler. All of those are, are really good archetypes, all types of players that I think the, the Bucks probably could need. And some might be considered luxuries. So... When you're thinking about the trade deadline and, and this current Bucks roster, what like what are you looking for that you think the Bucks need? That's a good question. Um, I swing back and forth because I'm not as big of a believer in terms of Bud or not Bud Brooke coming back. A okay, uh, people keep saying this is going to happen, but I'd just be a little nervous about that. But if we're looking at last season, where those three big men, Giannis, Brooke, uh, Bobby, are three big men, I feel like the team is a-okay with that and mamu obviously as the emergency if we're playing mamu we're screwed anyhow sort of situation the main issue is how do you consolidate the million and a half guard slash wings that we have on the roster because against the Cavs, uh that's pretty much all we played those are the only guys we played out there because that's just all we have um, and when i'm looking through here long physical wing i capable of guarding dynamic opposing forwards i think that's going to be west matthews so i'm not too worried about that point 
I don't know, maybe the the legitimate bench score, because as Van pointed out, we, our bench has been like absolutely horrendous in terms of outputs, uh, it, especially in January. Because a lot of the guys who are going to be out there playing for us in this sort of situation, um, it, it feels like a legitimate bench score would be a better option. Uh, problem is going to be trying to find somebody like that. But if Bobby goes back to the bench, that's one bench score. If you could have a second guy out there who can uh, legitimately score... I think that would be a positive. Uh, the The question is, is there anybody else on the roster that you can already fill that? I'm not sure there is. George Hill is not that kind of guy. Jordan Mora is obviously an absolute catastrophe on defense, so he's not going to get minutes. Pat's like as good as it gets, but he's pretty limited, and Dante is also a disaster. So if I'm looking through, my main thing would be a legitimate bench score, which might be a little bit easier to acquire, but then the question is, if you're a bench scorer, can you play any sort of defense? Uh, And something tells me there's not going to be a lot of guys out there who could do that. So these four archetypes make sense to me, but I don't know, it's just hard to imagine like who would be worthy of acquiring. I think we need to make some sort of move to consolidate the rotation because there are just too many guys who don't get minutes who are taking up spots. But um, which of those four archetypes, I'm not sure who I would put a premium on. Probably the bench scorer, though. Yeah, I think I think the 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 big man. I'm really not that worried about. I think like you. I think I think they'll find a way to make it work. Don't get, don't get too, I know people, it's tough because like we just played the Cavs and they obviously have a ton of like huge dudes. And that is, there is a problem there. And I'm not sure if just having Brooke out there fixes it. But the question is like, how much do you adjust your roster based on that particular archetype? If archetype of another team, if you think Brooke is coming back and there's only like the Cavs are kind of an outlier in terms of that team construction. So that's why I would cross that one off too. Long physical wing. I mean, it's... You know, one of the, one of the issues with this when I was looking through some of the people that Van had had included, and like there are really good there are good good people on there, but as as I'm looking through it, like one of the things I'm thinking about is like, okay, if if Shemi Ojale wasn't on our team this year and he was on another team, I could see myself being like, ah, oh, okay, Shemi Ojale, he's got like some, you know, some size, some strength, and like granted, he is having like. I can't imagine he, I can't imagine there are that many seasons worse than what he's having, but like when I I kind of have that in the back of my mind when I'm looking at some of the players that are out there, um, and comparing them in particular to PJ Tucker. Like so, so basically we're thinking like, okay, is there a, is there a PJ Tucker sized hole that the team needs to fill? I'm 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 not totally sure that there is, um, in part because I, I think. Wes Matthews might fill a little bit of that. And obviously he can't guard up as much, but I don't know. I guess, I, I guess I'm just not as concerned in part because I feel like the dynamism of Giannis um, as a defender and, and not just, but the, his ability also to, to, to work as a center in so many different types of coverages, I think opens up a, a little more ability for the team to maybe not be, not be hurt as much or need someone who can, you know, nominally guard up like PJ Tucker could. Like, I, I really think they, they, you know, PJ Tucker, I don't think helped that much in the last two rounds. And I think they really need people that can stay on the perimeter against guards more, in my opinion, like Drew Holiday is obviously good at that. George Hill is pretty good at that. Um, and I, I think guarding against penetration is more easy. So 
I I would say a bench scorer might be the top one on there, but again, it's so hard because when you think, like you said, when you think about the bench scorer, can they play enough defense to even get minutes in the playoffs? Like it's kind of like probably like a Bryn Forbes type, and that player mm-hmm. was good for one round, but then moving on, like didn't really work. So yeah, I'm just having such a hard time sort of sizing up what type of player it is that that the Bucks need and 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 sort of squaring the idea of okay it would be nice to have some more of this but is it worth whatever we we give up um in, in terms of, to get that player so i don't yeah. know I, i'm having a little trouble when i'm con- when i'm trying to conceive of what to do with this deadline yeah me too and looking through the options that van has my like the, my favorite one which i'm not even sure what the hell we have to give up pj washington just that was the one yeah that was the one i saw too he's like, the one that yeah. i like i'm like i had no idea pj washington was available if we had him that's like a he's only 23 that's a guy who can grow with the team and all it would take is dante and obviously, <laughs> it would take, obviously it would take a lot more than probably just dante but that's all it took i'd love it i have no idea why charlotte would want dante but <laughs> That's all it took. I also like uh, Tory Craig is on the list. That would be absolutely hilarious if we got Tory back. Um, I don't know. I, I guess my difficult part of evaluating it is I'm looking at a lot of it, the names here, and Van went heavy on big guys, which I appreciate, but I just don't think that's a big thing. And those are going to be the guys who are probably most easily acquired. Um, and also, like if you're a bench scorer type, uh, scoring comes at like a premium, even for like crappy players who can't play defense like if you can score teams are going to put like a premium on that in terms of like oh i need a little bit more because this guy is like he adds however many points per game off the bench for us or like whatever rationale they use so that that would be the main difficulty so i would say bench score uh, pj washington he's like a good defender too like he did okay against Giannis the couple of times we played him so he would be the most interesting guy uh and then even on fans moves that require more assets nobody there besides Thad Young and I'm hoping that's buyout season oh and Rashawn Holmes but I don't think that's happening so I'm sure John Horse has this game planned out seven ways to Sunday but I'm looking so for example let's just look at the New York Knicks uh game because that's it's pretty close to like full health we had like our full rotation so uh, Mike Boonholzer went with nine main guys uh, in that game. A, a couple of guys played like a minute or so. So it was Drew, Giannis, Chris, Grayson, Bobby as the starters. Okay, that's all fine. Uh, Dante, 24 minutes. Pat, 24 minutes. George Hill, 14 minutes. Wesley Matthews, 13 minutes. Wes Matthews back from his knee injury, so minute load probably watching there. If you add Brooke into that, that's 10 guys. And so... I want to consolidate that, that down to like eight. And so that means the to me, if I'm looking at this, Dante, Pat, and George are the three guys on the sort of on the outs. George, you might want to hold on to as like the point guardy guy, but we also survived and won a title with Jeff Teague as our point guard. So I would that's I mean, that's that was risky. Don't get me wrong. Was, we played a lot, him a lot of minutes, but it's just like, can you take those three and find a viable other option? The issue would be like maybe a buyout guy to be point guard, but that's those. That's like the group that I'd be looking at of like, can we find a way with these guys plus some of the other crappy guys like Jordan War or Semi or uh, Shemi or Hood to turn into somebody else? But I just don't think the big man's an issue. I think the four, we could play well enough defense to do the guarding the dynamic forward thing. Um, so yeah, I don't know. We're really obviously well-informed on this point, but this is the difficulty with trying to pick out when you're a team with so few assets, you have to, one, determine what your need is. I'm not sure 
the Bucks even agree that a big man is their need. It really doesn't seem they they cut DeMarcus Cousins. Like clearly they don't think that's really a big need. They're confident in Brooke. And if that's the case, then like the types of players you can get for all the other positions, that's such a wide range of things. And then we don't just don't have the contracts to match. That's what makes discussing this pretty hard. I, I I hope they make something, some move at the deadline. I'm really bad at imagining why another team would ever need anything that we're trying to trade. So I would be a bad GM in that regard. Um, But I hope there's some sort of consolidation trade rather than hold Pat and then wait for somebody at buyout because I'm I'm just increasingly less and less of a buyout believer versus trying to acquire a guy in a trade, if that makes sense. Yeah. I I think the tricky tricky part about this particular deadline is we're all sort of banking on Brooke. And I, I mean, I, I said this a long time ago. I, I don't think they're going to win it all if they don't have Brooke Lopez. So in that way, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not up for, up for just like making a move just to, just to make a move. Because like if, if Brooke is not healthy, I just can't see the team repeating at all no. and then are you, and then, are you telling me gorgie jang is not going to be the the answer if we acquired him that's not going to be able to offset the lack of brook like like there's just there, there's a lot of stuff and I, I i've appreciated everything they've done defensively this year i think it's helped Giannis grow that's been the most important thing i, I have severe doubts about the current scheme they've been running holding up over a uh a playoff series so if they don't have Brooke, I don't. I don't think they're repeating. I just don't think it's going to happen. And so when I when I when I move on from that point, I I just can't. I can't find myself. I'm probably getting into like a little bit of asset hoarding mode, which is like you know the probably one of the most annoying types of uh, of basketball fan. But I just can't. I I can't really justify to myself given how many chips they've cashed in in recent years. Cashing in any chips this year mainly because I can't envision any players that seem like realistically that they could acquire unless they get some sort of bargain deal. I just can't see many of the players that they could potentially acquire truly making a difference or even necessarily like cracking the playoff rotation in a meaningful way, given just the, like the, the players that you just laid out there. I mean, 10, those are 10 players who could reasonably play in a playoff game, playoff series uh, in the most meaningful playoff series, Bud played six uh, when when it came to nut nut cutting time and like that's that's not many players like so I I, I just I'm not sure how, you don't want to have negative players out there that's like the most important thing and I I think of all of those players that you mentioned Dante would be the closest to a negative player for sure maybe Grayson Allen if we find out that he just gets absolutely demolished defensively in a playoff series mm-hmm. but I, I I'm really doubtful of that I think he's shown enough to show that. He can at least stay on the court, and he's probably their most consistent three-point shooter, uh, potentially, in a series. I, I would say maybe Pat uh, in a playoff series, given he's shown it. But, it, God, it's just so hard. It's so hard, too, because, like like you said, you were like, oh, P.J. Washington. P.J. Washington, when I looked at Van's list, I was like, man, that would be awesome. That would be like a home run. And then I was like... Some, and something tells me if us two idiots yes. are like, that would be a great one. I'm sure NBA GMs have the same, same exact thought. Like, like I was looking at, like, for example, Mo Harkless. Um, I was like, oh, okay. somehow is only twenty eight years old. That seems oh hard. God. To I thought he was like, yeah, I thought he was like forty. So, <laughs> I was, okay, let's look at looking at him. He's kind of long. I know he wouldn't make that many shots in the playoffs or whatever, but like he seems to fit an archetype. I think he's shooting twenty four percent from three this year. He's a career thirty one percent three point shooter. 
like it's there's just it's just hard and i saw the bucks maybe were the bucks rumored for justin holiday potentially or was it mm-hmm. aaron holiday but, uh justin holiday yeah i don't know how did you feel about that if you feel like they need to consolidate a little i guess for me i felt like that would just be swapping like for like and we would just have another player that we don't necessarily need yeah that would be more so to like just open up maybe like another roster spot so you're yeah. like oh well we got dante for like a person with a pulse and a roster spot <laughs> for a buyout guy maybe which isn't i mean that's not the worst thing in the world if you think justin holiday can play a couple minutes uh but that probably that wouldn't be super exciting but it would be a move i I just would really like the i guess we could wait for dante for like the sign and trade season but i I don't know if they're really confident that brooke is going to come back i'd rather them make a move to try and like you know let's let's cash in on dante now because cashing in on him when uh, we're going to be like Chris and Drew another year older, Brooke is obviously going to be another year older. Like I would rather them cash in, even if it is a Justin Holiday, open up another roster spot, like assuming it's like Dante and Wara or something like that for that trade. Um, so I'd rather that than nothing probably. And it probably wouldn't take that much in terms of draft capital that we aren't going to use anyhow. So I don't know. That'd be okay. Most of these moves I'm going to be like, eh, okay. Like as long as he got off of Dante for something, I'd be like, okay. It's just, I'm of the opinion that Dante is such a busted asset. Like at this point, he's rounded a little bit into form, but so much of his game is just like bad decision making. And anything you get that could be like a plus decision making option off the bench would be a positive, in my opinion. Yeah, that's. I guess that's kind of the main question, right? Is okay. So I, I honestly haven't looked up his stats from the Heat series. Is is he a player? Because I, I think if they keep him on the roster, he's a player who will be. In the rotation, is he a player that, when he comes in the game, we're going to be tweeting why, why, bud, why is he in the game right now in in round two? Like, is is he a player who you could envision doing that? And like, is there a better player, or will he just be out of the rotation completely? Uh, it, it's like a hard, it's a hard question to to ask because when you think about the players that were like that last year, beyond round one, Bryn Forbes was that player, Jeff Teague was that player trying to think if there were any others that were like that player um not really but i guess that's the big question is is dante gonna be that player that we're wondering why he's even in the game dante in three games against the heat he averaged 23.3 minutes okay here are his shooting splits his oh, no. shooting splits why? overall from the floor 18 percent <laughs> from three 16.7 percent okay uh, and he never got to the free throw line so he averaged 6.3 rebounds. That's good. Okay, Dante. That's Dante ball. 2.7 assists, uh, two turnovers, and 2.7 points. So he he did stuff but not score. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Which, I mean, that is that is the Dante experience, so that's that's not that surprising. But it's time. It's time to move on. Everybody, uh, it's time to move on. If, if he's still – I'm not going to be like, oh, my God, where we made huge mistake. If he's still on the roster past the trade deadline – but I will be questioning what the rationale is if we couldn't find just even just something. You got to find something. And the upside for anybody who reads fans piece, pretty much every single trade option involves Dante having to be included. Yeah. He's the guy with uh, the contract. So that, that would have that upside to it. But I wish we, he, he, he would be the odd man. Out. He would for sure. If we had to start cutting the rotation down, he'd be the odd man. out. I think Pat is too like, too reliable. He proved it last year. Wes is obviously the defensive guy. George Hill is your only ball handler. So I think Pat or Dante would for sure be the odd man out. So if he's going to be the odd man out, get to moving. Time to move him on. Yeah. 
Easier said than done, I know. But uh-huh. that's, that's, that would be, and I'm sure the Bucks have the same exact rationale, but that's where I'd be coming at it from. I wish we, I wish we could have come to you with crazy trade machine stuff, crazy trades, but I, I, I hate to break it to everyone, but I, I'm just, I don't think it's going to be that, uh, that many fireworks w- within the Bucks front office, this trade deadline. Here's my crazy trade proposal. So I know that if you go into advanced PC lays out like, oh, here are all the main contracts we have. And then here are like the unlikely guys we would trade. So unlikely for Van, which he's probably right, includes Brooke Lopez, who's making 13.3 million. It has another year. Obviously, like you said, if we don't have Brooke, we're not winning a title probably. So he's going to be safe. Pat at 5.3 million with a player option for next year. George Hill, 4 million with another four next year. And then Grayson Allen, who we just got done paying. He only makes 4 million this year. Uh, but starts making like almost ten million a year starting next season. Look out for Pat Connaughton or George Hill, huh? What do you think? I, I, that was that's my trade deadline hot take. Don't be afraid to move Pat on. I know he does like a whole bunch of stuff, but uh, I know ownership. Uh, Mark Lazar, I know you're listening. You don't want to pay that guy. We, let's all be honest. He's a luxury, right? Pat Connaughton's a luxury. So if throwing Pat Connaughton's five million in gets you or George Hill's four million with Dante's uh, his own four million or whatever. Maybe that opens up the horizons. I wouldn't be opposed. Pat would probably be the scariest one to move just because he proved it. But like in years prior to that, we would have conversations where it's like, oh, Pat, like, you know, he does like a little bit of this, a little bit of that. He's like decent on defense and Giannis likes him, which is all, those are all good things. I agree with all those things. But you could sell it to Giannis, be like, Pat's going to want like 20 million a year. We're not going to be able to pay that, Um, you know, and Pat hit by far his like the upper register of his outcome of possibilities last season. It would be amazing if he lifted it again and he's had a great start to this season, but I would be nervous about that. So we saw like the last time George Hill was here, he shot 75% from three. And then uh, he kind of obviously tailed off in the playoffs for a lot of different reasons. So if like, if I'm the bucks, don't be afraid to move those guys on. We'll find, we can find fixes. We can go down to six players. That's, that is something that Bud is willing to do. The main guys are untouchable, but like any sort of bench option, uh, I, I just think have an open mind to that. That's all I would say. Have an open mind. I like Pat too, but have an open mind to maybe moving them on. If that opens up and you say this gets us a slightly better player, and there's another team that really likes Pat, so that'd be my two cents. It's bold. That's why we have you around. Bold and brash. Yes. Bold and brash and ill considered. That's, that's what it's all about. That's the Riley Feldman aura. Uh, <laughs> I, I would not do that personally, given he was like the only guy who could make a three in the NBA finals for the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, but he did save us in a lot of games against Phoenix. It was like, wow, everybody else is just god awful, except for like Giannis and Pat is out there doing way more than he should yeah. ever be demanded to do. So that is true. We'd be hurting ourselves. His ga- his game six colorship, but he was like forty three percent from three in the finals, and everyone else was like sub thirty. So now that being the one thing I would say is I could see moving. George Hill, it would be a ruthless move um, on the Bucks part, but sometimes you gotta be, sometimes yeah, you gotta be ruthless. Um, but the, the the main reason I could see it is like, yes, Jeff Teague was a plague upon the court, um, but he did basically helped us win one game in Atlanta with some timely threes, uh, and I guess he, I guess Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday also helped us win, but he made some threes which were timely, and it was also like. You need you need someone to fill ten minutes, like eight to ten minutes, which I guess is easier said than done. But that that would be that's a position that I think you could find someone potentially competent um, 
more so than finding someone who could fill Pat's role. That's just my two cents. But I think you're probably right that George, George makes a lot more sense. And Pat, if you're like, he's, I think he's 29. He just turned 29 a couple of weeks ago. So he's like right in the mold of bench guy who does a little bit of everything who you'll have to pay, but he probably won't expect a whole bunch. And he's like a key piece of the rotation. So yes. Uh, Pat Connaughton would be the crazy trade. I don't, it's probably unlikely, um, but George Hill is probably the more likely of the two. And that would be ruthless as hell. We get rid of him again, right? <laughs> to go on, I, like, I almost think they can't, like the optics would be so bad I that I, I, I'm not sure they could do it. You thought, you thought George Hill was salty before talking to the media in Oklahoma city. Oh my God. Jesus. <laughs> Round two in Sacramento is going to be brutal for the Bucks ownership. So keep an eye out for that. If that's what happens. Yeah. I also generally like him. Any thoughts on, um, Fan had some buyout people. Like, do you think they'll end up going the buyout route if they Probably. add anyone? That's kind of what I think too. Yeah, and it, uh, if it's that young, obviously it's as good as a trade itself. Uh, yeah. Given the fact that I've heard nothing, I know if Thad Young is making some noise about wanting to like go compete somewhere else, which is whatever. So, but then you have to hope that they come to us. So if we do a buy, I, I'm sure buyout is probably the direction we're going to go. We'll hold Pat literally hold on to Pat and stand Pat at the deadline and be like, ah, oh, we'll just see what happens with Dante with sign and trade. And then, you know, don't move any more assets if they're confident that Brooke comes back and they can reduce the rotation down from there to be like effective. So I will probably do a buyout. All, all this trade talk unnecessary because we're probably just going to buy out Marvin Williams 2.0, whoever that happens to be. Well, that, I guess that would be Thad Young. I, and the one thing I would say is I know that's it's exciting. We'll have to see. But it's also like uh, when the Nets, like for example, when the Nets were getting like Paul Millsap and a couple of these other guys, like, oh shoot, man, the Bucks could really use him. Well, he's like barely playing for them. Turns out he kind of might be washed. That being said, I, I don't really know what Brooklyn is doing with their rotations. Like every time I watch them, I'm like, why are, why are you playing all these people? Bruce Brown isn't playing. Wasn't he like pivotal to your success against the Milwaukee Bucks, i.e., last mm-hmm. year's champions in the playoffs? But Whatever you do, you Steve Nash. Um, anything? Any other final thoughts on trade deadline before we talk briefly about these games? Not off the top of my head. I, you know, do not count the Bucks out. They, oh, it's pretty rare that we're like connected with a player like way out ahead of time. Or if we are, like the PJ Tucker, did that develop? Seem to develop pretty quickly. Like around that, I know that the Rockets were intent on moving him, but when we swooped in, that seems sort of like a little out of the blue. So I wouldn't be surprised. You know, just because we haven't heard anything besides the Justin Holiday connection from, I don't even know what source that came from, like how reliable the source was on Twitter. Uh, don't be surprised if there's some like random move because we're usually pretty good at keeping it under wraps until the actual deadline itself. Yeah, it's a great point. A lot of stuff, a lot of stuff does come out of the blue for the Bucks. So, so stay tuned. I guess turn on your your Shams notifications, uh, not Woj. So do sort of a silent protest there, but do that through February 10th. We'll see what happens. All right, let's talk briefly about these games. Riley, you are fresh off watching this 99 to 115 loss against the Cleveland Cavaliers. My question to you, are these guys going to be a problem for the Bucks in the playoffs should they match up? It's a really good question, potentially. I think it all depends on whether or not uh, JP Bickerstaff is their coach, right? Mm-hmm. I believe. So I think it really depends on whether or not he feels obligated to keep playing when Laurie Markin is back, keep him in the starting lineup. Because I think that duo of um, Jared Allen and Evan Mobley, that's all the big man you need. Three seven footers. That's that's as much as everybody loves, like just be the really tall team. There is a limit to like diminishing returns. So if this lineup that they ran out there, uh, with Darius Garland, Isaac Okoro, Jared Allen, Evan Mobley, 
Dean Wade, who I just found out, he looks like tall Adam Scott. And it's so funny that his his name sounds sort of like Dwayne Wade, like D. Wade, <laughs> Dean Wade. I was laughing so hard when I found that out this morning. Uh, so maybe I would think if they do the right things with the rotation, we'll have to see about Kevin Love. They could give problems. I don't know. Like this all comes back to if Brooke is out there, does that change the calculus? In this game, unlike the first, the last last game against the Cavs where we were underhanded. Um, Cavs did a really good job of like executing, getting guys into position and their defense was super stifling and Drew scoring only four points does not help because if Giannis against a team like this, where they have the size, this is like the thing I keep talking about teams that defend Giannis well, either have like size or they have like a really good defensive execution. Ideally both of them like size of it, like, Jared Allen and um, Evan Mobley are not like thick guys, but they are long guys who like know how to position themselves on defense, which is going to be a recipe for trouble for Giannis. Then somebody else, Chris or Drew, has to step up. Chris has like an okay game; he turns it over a whole bunch, um, and Drew obviously is pretty quiet. And it's very strange because in the very first quarter, the Bucks had everything hitting. Like Giannis kept finding the right pass. Uh, Pat and Bobby were like hitting every single three that they had going up. Um, even Dante hit a three in the first quarter. Uh, that was the only three he hit because he went one of five the rest of the game. The key would be, can everybody else pay that off? And I would be nervous about the Bucks. traditionally a team that shoots awful in the postseason. That's probably going to continue. So yes, maybe the Cavs or any team that is able to effectively bottle up Giannis where he has to kick it out more often than not um, to try and get things going. So I, I would be somewhat uh not nervous but i would i would keep an eye on that if brooke is back maybe that changes things because obviously evan mobley or jared allen has to stick with brooke on the outside by the perimeter and that might change things entirely so it depends on brooke if his if he's there or not in my opinion yeah i i, I wouldn't be too, i wouldn't be too concerned I, I feel like i saw some people saying maybe that the you know they don't match up that well i guess the, you know the key the key stuff for me that stood out from the last the the most important thing i've taken away from the Cavs bucks matchups this year have been the couple sequences i think at the end of their whenever the bucks won i i I have a terrible brain right now i got freaking dad baby brain um but like whenever they won when they wanted to score they just targeted darius garland over and over and over in the pick and roll which is basically playoff basketball and like what they will be doing repeatedly so that was, I think, the most meaningful thing that I've taken away from their matchups. You, you are totally correct, though, that I think Jared Allen and Evan Mobley do a really good job of n- not necessarily providing the, the as much physicality. Like, the, they aren't guarding Giannis, I would say, the way, like, the Nets did with, uh, to, to pretty decent su- success for some games with, God, what's his name? What God, what's the guy's name? Why am I blanking on it? The old Detroit guy, Blake Griffin. Blake Griffin. Griffin. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> that's how far Blake has fallen. Who's that old Detroit, the old Detroit guy? <laughs> I'm so, uh, apologies to, to to Blake, but anyway, they, they aren't guarding him like that. They're not like trying to body him up or like draw or even or even for a more recent example, uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. in Memphis, yes. where it's like Jaron Jackson Jr. is going to be like the guy who bodies him on the wing or like on the elbow and like just try to get around him. That's yeah. more so. It looked like a bit more of a team like swarms like there was a lot of doubles thrown at Giannis yes. and he did a good job in the first quarter first half of getting out of them but then everybody else kind of fell apart and then in the second half the offense kind of went away from that and there was a lot of like pump fake drive to the rim which is a mistake when they have two seven footers like that inside the paint so and defense defensively I was really interested to watch how they tried to plan because it, it repeatedly it was basically okay they're gonna have 
Bobby Porter's come up in the pick and roll. They're going to basically flat hedge it or blitz it. Darius Garland is going to make a pass between the two defenders to Jared Allen or Evan Mobley, who is rolling. He's right about at the free throw line. Giannis might come up and try and, you know, meet that player there and make sure that they don't get to the rim. They make a pass. They get an open three. Like, the defense is scrambling from there. Traditionally, if you have Brooke, in my mind, you're going to make Darius Garland have to beat you with floaters through the zone drop. I think that's a huge. I mean, it's a huge reason why I think the but we've seen more threes from opponents this year is that Bucks are playing a much more scrambling defense in, in the zone drop. There's not as many times where you need the players to just be moving, you know, from here or there, helter skelter. It, they're just playing a much more frenetic brand of defense right now, and I, I think that did not help them at all against the Cavaliers. And I, I would definitely take my chances. I know Garland is really good. Um, but I would take my chances against him kind of going downhill against Brooke Lopez in a playoff series over and over and over. Uh, and then, you know, they did that occasionally against Giannis. Like Giannis is, is doing the, the zone drop better than I think he ever has. But it, for me, that was like the biggest takeaways. It just didn't, it, it just didn't seem like the kind of defense that they would be playing um, where they would get destroyed. And may, maybe then, you know, Garland is able to get lobs to, Allen or Mobley potentially on the, on the backside and, and that would damage them. But I would much prefer to take my chances against that than him splitting the pick and roll with the pass. And then, you know, the Cavs finding open, open players for three point shots. Yeah. You could tell the, the big issue was Bobby does the aggressive defense. And then as he's trying to fall back, once they get it to Mobley, then it forces like Pat or Dante, who are obviously extremely undersized to try and like Mm -hmm. help out to buy him some time. And then that leaves whatever shooter, like how many times did Chetty Osmond get just wide open looks like the number of times or like, they would kick it then to Kevin Love, who would pass it over Chetty Osman, and then the defense is totally broken. So you're right that the key of having Brooke out there, which is going to be a revelation when he's back, is if he's like 100% good to go, he's able to tag whoever the role guy is. And obviously he would outweigh like either Allen or Mobley by quite a bit and also keep in between as competently as he usually does between the guard, whoever the rolling or the penetrating guard is and that big man. So I think and Bobby gives up like height to those two guys mm-hmm. as well, like length and height. So there's just everything about it. It it would be the kind of team where if Brooke is out there, that probably changes the complexion quite a bit. However, I uh, would like to see the Bucks try to do something more intelligent offensively, even if they're yes. like defensively, we're, we were struggling. That was going to be a struggle no matter what. The offense looked god awful in the second half, especially. Um, Giannis, three of seven from the floor. You. He was forcing it a lot of times, but I can't even blame him. The rest of his team teammates sucked. Like Drew, 0-5 <laughs> from the floor. Dante, 2-6. There's a lot of Dante shots. Uh, you know, it just the kind of performance in the second half where it's like, okay, we had this thing that worked, and then we went away from it. And it just seemed like a lot of guys were trying to prove themselves for some reason. Like Dante, I don't want him taking threes at all, oh so God. that's not the end of the world. But the number of times so it's like pump fake right into like a forest of calves. And I know um, Stephen Bardo was commenting on the game. He was like, oh, Bucks are just like really loose with the ball, like sort of. But I think they are they were like seeing ghosts a little bit with like how many defenders they had to get through for the Cavs because the Cavs could just kind of pack the paint with like their guys and trying to weave your way through to a basket. I think, of course, you're going to like start getting – difficulty like passing out of it we turned it over a whole bunch like six times in the second half i want to say how many times did we turned it over total it was 19, 19 for 19 31 calves points which i guess was the most points ever by a butt opponent in milwaukee <laughs> yeah so I, I just it was kind of stupid offense in the second half and 
another key is we were missing both Grace and Allen because of Grayson Kate and Wes Matthews because he tweaked his knee. Um, so that's something to also keep in mind. But, I, you know, it felt like we let the game get away in the second half offensively. Um, it's just because we were playing kind of stupid, unfortunately. So do something better, something more intelligent. And that probably falls more so on Bud lets guys make decisions out there and they were doing making some really mostly really poor decisions. So uh, let's clean that up in the future, please. Yeah. For for my money, I'm I'm glad there's a division opponent that is half decent because I know it's really fun to rack up wins against them. But dear God, like the, in years past, I am not excited at all for a mid January game against the Cavaliers. It, it or the it would almost always be a guaranteed Giannis sits game. It would be yes. like okay, so it's going to be the Drew Holiday forty point game, which is fun, but it's against the Cavs. So it's like what what is, what is even happening right now? What's going on? Yeah, so I, I enjoy having a team that's that's worth a damn in in the division. We we don't have, the Knicks game is going to be a lot less of a comment because the Knicks are a tire fire. Do you, so obviously people came out of this Cavs game like oh we're undersized we don't take teams seriously et cetera et cetera et cetera. I believe somebody I apologies who if you're listening um, in the wrap up recap they said that the Bucks so far this season have gone two and nine against the Cavs the Heat the Raptors, and there was one other team um, who are all kind of like upstarty, like long teams who we, you know, in theory could play against in the playoffs that we played poorly against. Is there any sort of trend against some of these teams that you're concerned about us not giving a shit or like the other teams are figuring out how to target it? Or do you think a lot of it like Brooke comes back, we'll give more of a damn, like how are you viewing these games? Or are they just kind of like one-offs, like no big deal to you? Uh, it, it's an interesting question because um, I, I heard Zach Lowe bring it up on his podcast too. It was like, so the Bucks are like thirty and twenty. Are they ever going to kick it into gear? There, for me personally, there is zero concern on my level. Yeah. Like the only thing I am worried about right now is if Brook Lopez can play this year competently. That 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 is really all I care about. I think that the season. Will he, he is basically the linchpin, and then also the other players being healthy. Um, and for me, I, there's like there's very little concern. Like I think when the Bucks need to, they turn it up defensively, offensively. I'm really not surprised by what we've seen. Like the the team was, you know, Jekyll and Hyde in the playoffs last year, and I I, I basically think they'll be the same. I think they'll need to score better than they did last year, but I think their defense can still be just as tenacious when they need it to be so for my money there's like there's really no concern the the the, my only concern basically is that i am still annoyed that Giannis is taking as many threes as he is that that is that is still frustrating to me i get that he wants to do it that's kind of frustrating so for me i have no concern um but i think part of that is also coming from a level of i don't think i can be disappointed in the bucks unless they like go out swept in the first round. Like I just, I can't see myself getting really all that disappointed no matter the outcome this year. And that's probably definitely, I would say probably not the case for a majority of fans. Um, but, but I'm not sure. I don't know how uh, that that's probably painting a little bit of my view. Uh, I should say, so it was DTX315 who commented in the rapid recap. He said, Bucks are now 2-9 and nine against Atlanta, Toronto, Cleveland, and Miami. The, quote, big teams in the East. Uh, and he says, injuries are COVID or not, that's not a coincidence. Uh, generally, 
feel similar, but the, the key question again comes back to Brooke. Uh, does he kind of fix all ills for the most part? I don't know. I, I'm nervous only insofar. I'm where you're at for the most part, nervous insofar as dude gets back surgery and is going to come back. I'm still skeptical about how that experiment's going. Maybe it'll go great. If it goes great, that's awesome. But it just, anytime you get back surgery, it just seems remarkable to me that you could come back and start throwing around like 240 pound plus dudes on a nightly basis. But maybe, maybe Brooke will be there. It, now here's my follow-up question to that. So your worst case scenario is Bucks get swept. Would it be if we got swept by the Miami Heat? Do we have to close the franchise? Is that the end? Is that the end of time? Who I was? I feel like I was going to. Who the worst team to lose to would be? Lose to? I think we 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 should this this should really be an article. Is like who would be the worst team to to lose to with the Bucks? I am kind of curious because you guys were talking about the Bulls game as like a renewed rivalry. I I was kind of curious who we view as the Bucks rivals. I guess the Bulls now because they're good or whatever, but. Like who? Who do you think the 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 Bucks' primary rival is? It's still Miami. It's got to okay. be All we. Right, the the trend of we got clowned. We clowned them. If one of us clowns the other, and this is like the final, like the best of three situation. Whoever clowns the other team, because it does feel like it would either be an absolute blowout in either direction, cosmically speaking. Um, so yes, if if it was the Heat, I, th- I think the Heat are still number one. We will maybe we'll see somebody really try to like kill somebody else in the next Bulls game. So that'll up it a little bit. But right now I still think it's the heat would be by far the worst team to they, get swept by. Yes, they would be the worst in part. Yes, because we absolutely destroyed them last year. And I, I'm, I'm essentially going through this season thinking, okay, this is really cute. Uh, but you guys are about to, you get Jimmy Butler got scored by Brent mm-hmm. Forbes. Like I, I don't need <laughs> to hear about his MVP case or his, he's a shoe in for the all-star like Jesus Christ. They should have some, have some, have some courage, man, to show mm-hmm. that you don't suck in the first round of the playoffs. But I think they would be the worst. They're, there's just something about the Raptors. Like, clearly they – I don't know if they have Bud's number or Giannis because I think they've won like six in a row against us or something. Mm-hmm. Um, that is that is frustrating. I, I, I think – I've also thought part of this, and I know this is like stupid sports cliche, but there is a part of me that's like, that Atlanta game that they lost on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, it's like, I mean, what, what, what do the Bucks have to play for? And like, that may as well have been like the Hawks' season. Like that, every night, that has to be the. That was the, their Super Bowl. Yeah, that was their Super I mean, Bowl. like, yeah. like Giannis, they lost by sixteen against the Cavs, and I'm sure, and people were like, "Oh boy, this is kind of worrying." Are the Cavs? The Cavs are legit. And like Giannis came out after the game was just eating chicken and was like, "Yeah, we didn't play very well. I guess we sucked." Like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if that doesn't tell you about the state of the team's mental state versus like how other teams I think are approaching some of these games, I I don't really know what can. We, the only time we have to be worried is if one of the vet guys comes out, Kyle Korver style and cryptically says, our season's on the line and the playoffs hasn't even begun yet. That's when <laughs> that you was, need to be worried. <laughs> we should have known that was going to be, I mean, you want to talk about a red flag. We've yet to see that red flag. So, And I believe, so to your point about the team, like when are they going to take it up a notch? I believe we were like at this time last year, very similar in terms of record. Um, so, you know, it's not like we've been really down to previous years. We've like given the COVID and injury stuff, we kept up pretty well with our winning pace last year. The question is just like how much of the improvement of the Clevesons, the Chicago's, the Charlotte's, like how much will that carry into the playoffs mm-hmm. if this is like their first real like playoff runs in a while? So I think that's more so the question than like the Bucks taking it up a notch really. Yeah. 
Well, good over good overarching questions to ask at this point, given we're we're fifty games in, mm-hmm. we're we're getting close to playoff time already. Yeah. Anything to say on this New York Knicks game? One twenty three to one hundred eight victory for the Bucks. Uh, Knicks are super sad. This was the kind <laughs> of game where watching it seems to indicate that Chris has like he's not fallen so far, but he's fallen far enough behind Giannis and Drew that. Giannis and Drew are the true like pairing. Chris is the definitely the super super. I can't pronounce that word. He's the like extra tertiary guy of those three in this game. In the first half, especially Giannis and Drew were like just lighting up the Knicks for everything they wanted. Um, Knicks are a bad team. Uh, Mitchell Robinson is like he's a block machine, but he doesn't set his feet for anything. Uh, Julius Randle is obviously a shell of himself. So I, I think good to come back and win this one. But I think it drives home the point that right now, success that we're going to get, especially in the offensive end, runs through Drew orchestrating the offense. And if he's not doing that, then Giannis has to be able to attack. And he did, both of those guys did that like at a very high level in this game. Chris, 7-18 from the floor, went at 7 from 3. Like, it's fine, 20 points, that's all fine. But that's been pretty in his lane. So this kind of just drives home that our success this year is going to come off of Drew and Giannis and whether or not they can be like the true closer types if that makes sense would be my big take that's a lot to take away from a friday night you know 9 p.m central game against the Knicks, but that's kind of what i was looking at from that one i thought it was nice to have just wes and grayson back it you could you could kind of feel the absence i think in that that prior game like george hill has been nice story this year i also looked up this was a while back but one of the reasons like he's been plus every game is i think opponents are shooting like 14% 14% worse from three while he's been on the floor. So that's yeah. maybe part of the reason why he has a high net rating. Um, but it's just, you j- I just feel better when Grayson is shooting a three than Dante is like your primary person. And, mm-hmm. it, and it just goes back to the point of, I don't think the Bucks can ever have enough shooters, especially given their checkered playoff three point history. Like just having a few more players who are capable of at least doing a little bit of stuff with the ball in their hands, but primarily making threes. So it, I was glad to see Grayson come back from Grayson Gate, 15 points, seven rebounds. And this was a total eye test thing, but the Bucks got demolished on the offensive boards or way earlier in the season by the Knicks. This game they did not. And I, I really thought they were fighting hard on the defensive boards to try and get rebounds, um, make sure Mitchell Robinson didn't corral them. So, I mean, Grayson Allen was going up higher than I feel like I've seen him do much this season. Uh, Portis and, and Giannis were really batting balls out of Nick's hands to make sure they corralled it. So that, that was just something else that stuck out to me from the game. Yeah, uh, the thing from the Cavs game, and like a lot of games, if you watch the Bucks, especially defensive rebounding, this is why Brooke is so critical. Guys do like kind of a shit job figuring out how to like space themselves or like position themselves to get the defensive rebound. The number of times that it's like it falls just out of Bobby's reach on like the elbow or whatever. It's like, why is Bobby so like, why is he not backing off of it to like find a guy? Because opposing teams will have like three or four guys on the perimeter and Bobby will sort of be stuck in no man's land. uh, And like, it'll just fall right out of his reach or Giannis, like he'll fight for rebounds um, pretty consistently, but uh, some better execution. Yes. And either getting up for it. And Dante does a a good job with that too. Like Mm -hmm. just getting up for his height um, or just positioning. There's a lot of like, gimme balls that just seems like we have poor positioning on defensive rebounding to get to it so clean that up a little bit that'd be appreciated but yes we did a better job in this game than in even against the Cavs which the Cavs they obviously have the height but a lot of it was like just stupid balls that like 
were out of our reach that went to the Cavs for an offensive rebound was all. Yeah. Uh, anything else from this next game? Um, we've come a long way, and by a long way, I mean a long negative way since the bang bong start of the season yeah. for the Knicks. It's I didn't expect us to reach the Thibodeau wall this early, but we <laughs> we reached it pretty quickly. Uh, main confusion: Why did they trade for Cam Reddish and he's never going to play for them? What's going? On? <laughs> is, there, is there something going on there? Is he injured? I don't know. Um, uh, that is confusing. I was I was confused by that. Yeah, I don't know. And there's nothing like nobody even on the next is like, oh, that'd be a good guy to trade for because they're obviously <laughs> going to have to blow it up. So there's there's really nothing to root for there. But but good to um, face up against like, say, like a Julius Randle, who is kind of like a hard charging, like physical guy. I thought we did really good. He only scores nine points. Really good job defending him, for example. Um, and Evan Fournier is really the only guy that went off for them uh, from three for the most part. So if that's going to be the case and you can shut down everybody else for the most part, good game from the Bucks. So it's it just good all the way around execution, scoring. Chris is the only one who could have shot a little bit better, but otherwise pretty good. Good get right game for the Bucks. Nice to see. And then uh, they're, they'll have a few games before they start off on a, on a West Coast trip. So stick around. We're going to do our miscellaneous topics, make our, make our predictions, and uh, we'll be back right after the break. All right, Riley, we are back. It's time for rapid fire. I have a few for you today. Okay. First one, what's your ideal work lunch? That's a good question. Um, I want to bring it from home. I'm not much into uh, eating out while I'm at work. I'll do it on occasion, but I just... I'd rather save the money and most of the food. By the time I get it, it's too cold for me to even enjoy. <laughs> um, so I would like it to be leftovers. I would like it to be a noodle-based lunch with like a sauce of some sort. This past week, I had a Caribbean jerk chicken with like a pineapple black bean salsa, which was good. And I also had a um, just like a generic like tikka masala curry. Um, so something like that with a fruit option and then probably like a snack bar after the fact so that's my ideal mm. lunch nothing too crazy but i like i like it to be flavorful let's keep me entertained while i drudge my way into and out of my office in downtown minneapolis i want something exciting please wow to look that forward sounds, to that sounds lovely i do salad every day <laughs> so, yeah. that's i mean it's definitely for sure the more healthy option but i'm still so do you make your own, I can't remember. So do you work from home or do you go into the office? Yeah, I've been, yeah, I still work from home. The making the salad at work is a real, it's a huge pain in the neck because I've tried it before where you get all the greens. You're like, okay, but then you have to have a specific container unless you're going to bring the whole ass bottle of like dressing with you to work. Oh, I do. And that. then, <laughs> or uh, you do, well, that's probably what I do need to do. But then like mixing it all together, if you try to do it ahead of time, obviously everything's soggy. So I just find it very difficult, but that is absolutely the correct move if you can do it from home to eat like that. So I, yeah, I have enjoyed that. All right, next one. It's your birthday party, and <laughs> you you get to you ha, you get to invite one special guest. Are you inviting Lazary, Edens, Dinan, or Facetelli? Hmm. Just one. I wouldn't want I wouldn't want Mark because he punched me in the face, rightfully so. I don't <laughs> I don't want that. Probably Wes. 
Because Wes, I mean, he looks exhausted every time he's at the game courtside. I'm like, Jesus, Steve, you need a nap, my my man. And he's got the the Michael Jordan tequila brand. So in theory, he's going to be trying to pawn that off on everybody. Mm. He'll spice it. And I have no idea what Dinan or what's the other guy who's the Mike Fasatelli. I have no idea. Maybe Mike. You know, he'd be he'd be low key. Seems like a I've never seen him before. If I have, oh <laughs> uh, wait, I think I know. He's a I think I know what he looks like. It'd probably be West though. And that way I could get some like some cool like ownership drama mm-hmm. because he's like, oh, that one time that uh, Mark flexed his powers or I flexed my powers for John Horst or whatever. So you get some cool stories and he'd bust out some crappy tequila. So shout out to Wes. Okay. Um, next one. Are you a, are you a don't touch my plate kind of eater or a willing sharer? I'm a willing sharer. Uh, we, we have the system in our household that if we go out somewhere, uh, we all get different things and then you share out portions of it to each person. Mm. Uh, pretty rare that we have something where it's like, I just really want like this specific item. Uh, but we are willing sharers in our household. Very generous. So th- John Horst trade deadline is passed, but he's been given a golden ticket because they won the championship. They are allowed to bring one player back. Um, and you have to decide, do you want Nikola Miritich or Marvin Williams back on the team? Be Nikola Miritich for sure. I think he's making like 40 mil a year in Spain. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, <laughs> he, he might be pissed that we took him out of that ace situation. So I couldn't blame him, but I think Marv is, I haven't seen him. You know, he might, uh, put on a couple of retirement LBs. He's just, I mean, he retired mid-game, for God's sake. It, Nicola, oh, but I do, you do have to consider the Bobby Portis and Nicola Miritich chemistry. <laughs> Maybe bring the best out of Bobby. I'd, I'd probably go to Nicola Miritich just because, I don't know. It'd be rough, though, either way. That'd be amazing. In retrospect, I feel like the best thing that ever happened to Miritich was getting benched by the Bucks and him being like, yeah, I don't need to do this. I'm going to go live in Spain, live beautifully and be like the best player in the year in did Europe. it did it feel like to you i know he was really bad against the raptors and he had like the injury but people like really look back on that trade acquisition in particular as like a complete disaster i didn't think it was a total disaster things just didn't like work out his way and he was bad like defensively and he couldn't yeah. shoot in the raptors so i understand that but people look back on it like what a bum that guy was it was like i don't know he like hurt his hand and he couldn't play for like 17 games PJ Tucker style. So yeah, I think I'm looking at it that poorly. Yeah. I think the results are completely colored. The process was really good on that. I, th- I think oh, yeah. they got really unlucky. I think the injury hurt him. He would, I think he would have been an ideal piece. I, I thought for sure when we got him, I was like, Oh my God, we're going we're all win. the way up. Yeah. I was like, we're for sure. Like we're, we're this bad out of hell team. We're going to get this. Like four, we got off of Thon and like John Henson and eventually it's Stanley Johnson for two seconds for mm-hmm. like this guy. I thought for sure I was like, John Horse is a demon. So uh, yeah, I thought the process was absolutely correct. I thought it was going to be our time. Oops. Oh, hopefully he's enjoying Spain is a lovely place. So hopefully he's enjoying it. Um, all right. <clears throat> last one. Favorite live event you've ever been to. It could be a concert, sporting event, speech, uh, book reading. Do you have a favorite? <laughs> Um, my favorite that I've ever been to, it wouldn't be a sporting event. The the highlight of my watching things live was Brandon Jennings hitting that game winner against the Cavaliers to open the season. Like, so that was pretty good, but in terms of sporting (laughs) moments, pretty low. Um, my favorite thing live event I've been into was probably to see Soundgarden, which is my favorite band at the university of Illinois in Chicago's basketball arena. Uh, 
I saw them at Lollapalooza, but Lollapalooza that was like chaos, and uh, it was a good concert and very first time I saw them, which is cool. But the second show, like the reverb you could get off of like the enclosed space, the concert was like two and a half hours long. Um, I just I went with uh, my uncle; he was really cool. Like he enjoyed himself, uh, and he didn't like listen to him a whole bunch. So I thought everything about that was like a lot of fun. It was probably the best performance that I saw them put on. So everything about that was probably my favorite live event I've ever been to. Lovely. Well, thank you. That was, that's been rapid fire. And now I will turn it over to you for a journal review. It's been very long. It's good to have it back. Part of the issue is this week we're reviewing a journal that I don't even have with me in person. That's how much it disappointed me. So this week <laughs> we are going to be reviewing the Loic Torm 1917. I will give you just for your views, like this is not it, but this is like the same size. So this is a typical Loic Torm. They're hardcover. The 120, it's a 1917 120G, what the G stands for is the GSM or the grams per square meter of the paper. So the way that that's measured is, it's essentially the heft or the thickness of a paper. So if you had a square meter of this paper, it would be 120 grams. That's, I mean, thicker than a snicker for a piece of paper, for a piece of journal paper. Normally it's anywhere between 50 and 80, 80 is on the high end for a typical journal. I went with this like an idiot because I was like, okay, it's this thick paper. Some like term paper is like a little thin, has a little bit of bleed through. I wanted to get an iron gall ink that would sit well on it. It was like drawn on a whiteboard. It was <laughs> one of the worst experiences I've ever had. And it was my fault because I knew it was going to be super thick, but I didn't know it was going to be this thick. And they also have it. Normally they'll do it. You can't see it here, but normally these papers are like kind of a cream color. This was shock white. It looked awful. And to top it all off, they only came in like blank paper. So no lines or anything. And it was just, I can't keep straight writing for the life of me. So everything about it was a total disaster. It was going to be my newest journal. I got 20 pages in and I audibled. I just got rid of it. I didn't get rid of it completely, but it's just sitting in like storage somewhere. So uh, probably not like terms fault, but it was one of those gimmicky ones where it's like, what if we did like the craziest ass paper you've ever seen? And in the journaling space, fountain pen ink space, the top quality is um, Tomio River paper, which is Japanese. A lot of the Japanese brands, because it's like 40 GSM, so extremely light, extremely thin, but the acid treatment really captures the ink well. So it's like, oh, it's light, like writing on like the thinnest paper, but it doesn't bleed through at all. So it's like this really remarkable paper. German paper is not known for that necessarily. It's pretty good, but instead of doing the improvement of like, let's make it thin and acid treat, treat it in this particular way, they're like, what if we just got like the heaviest ass shit we could stuff into here? Um, and it was just not comfortable. The hardcover made it tough to like lay it all the way down. Like everything about it was a disaster. And this is a new thing that just came out. I don't think they'll keep up with it because it's just, it's not fun. So if you're looking for a journal, don't go thick. Don't go thick. Even if you don't use a fountain pen, it's going to be tough to keep the journal flat, um, which is critical in my opinion for like, actually writing out because you want it to be comfortable when you're doing it. This was just not comfortable to write with. So everything about it was not good. So the Torm 1917 120G, don't buy, avoid it. Quite a pan, quite a pan. Oh, well, what is the, uh, do, do you like other Leucht? I, I took Spanish, Leuchtturm. I don't know German. Yeah, do you do you like other Leuchtturm? I do. Um, so like this one here, I keep showing you. So this is my fiance's. This is like their basic straightforward journal. Um, you can kind of, see the lining a little mm -hmm. bit like pretty tight lining the colors like easy on the eyes and this is like 
pretty solid for um, just any sort of like general journaling needs. The hardcover lays pretty flat, all things considered. So I, I usually buy from them, but uh, and this is going to be for future reviews. I've actually gone to a different brand. That's a plug for future reviews um, for, for a daily journal. So keep tuned for that, folks. That's important. But normally, yes, I do like their stuff. I'm a big fan. Okay. Well, that's a tease, as they call it in the biz. So we're going to close <laughs> it out with our uh, our predictions here. So it's Sunday. By the time you hear this, because um, full disclosure, I definitely didn't edit this till Sunday night. They are going to be facing against the Denver Nuggets at home. And then the Bucks have the Wizards at home on Tuesday. And then I believe they're on a four or five game West Coast road trip, kicking off with four game road trip, kicking off with a game at the Trailblazers on Saturday. Riley, how do you think they're going to do? Um, I think they will go 3-0, actually. So I think uh, we'll beat the Nuggets tonight. The Wizards are a shambles. Both the Wizards and Knicks are like right there, A, B, a 1A and 1B in terms of high-flying start to the season, absolute tire fire as the season goes on. Uh, and then Dame obviously being out for the Trailblazers. I have no idea if they're going to be sellers at the deadline. I would think so. So I think they're slouching towards uh, uh, Gamora, Sodom and Gamora there. So I'm going to give it 3-0 and this week. Uh, and we're usually pretty fresh first game off of. We'll have time between Tuesday against the Wizards and then Saturday against the uh, Blazers. So I'm going to guess 3-0 and this week. I like the confidence. To be contrarian, I'm going to go two and one, just because I think the I don't know if I don't know if this team is going to go three and zero. Oh. So I'm going to go two and one. I think they're just going to drop one. So that's my prediction. It'll be in the stupidest fashion too. It'll be like we'll be up twenty against the Wizards, and then Bradley Beal will have like fifty points or something stupid. It's got to be something dumb. It's all it's the Bucks. It's the Bucks way. All right. Well, this has been the uh, trade deadline preview for the Brew Hoop podcast. Go to brewhoop.com. We'll have. Everything you need to know before the trade deadline. Make sure to read Van's piece. Make sure to read Van's Friday's progress report. The wrap-up will be back this week. Uh, it was gone last week because of rats. Riley will have his Monday morning media roundup, as per usual, on Monday. Um, and then we'll have our general recaps and everything else. So go to brewhoop.com. Share the podcast with your friends. Leave a review. That would be crazy if someone left a review, but feel free. And uh, I, I did see it. somebody did leave one back in November of 2021, which we overlooked, which we apologize. We will read that review as a as a treat in the near future. So yes. thank you, whoever did that. More yes. people, go ahead and do it, please. Yes, please leave a review. We appreciate it. And we will talk to you again soon.